Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to another Conversation 6. Today, uh, I'm here, uh, John Gans, the Director of Communications and Research at the University of Pennsylvania's Perry World House uh, and a former speechwriter at the Pentagon, where I worked with uh, Lindsay Ford, uh, who's also here today. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks so much. Lindsay is the David Rubenstein Fellow in Foreign Policy at the Brookings Institution, where she focuses on Asia security strategy. Uh, she was previously a senior advisor on Asia Pacific Affairs at the Pentagon from 2009 to 2015. So the first question for you, Lindsay, in uh, our six minutes is you have a new article, a new white paper out uh, from the Brookings Institution called Network power, China's effort to reshape Asia's regional security architecture. So the, the first question is, what's network power and what's China doing to try and reshape and reform and uh, revise Asia's regional security architecture? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, so the idea of this title basically comes from uh, recognizing that in Asia, unlike Europe, what you don't have is any kind of centralized multilateral security structure like NATO. Instead, what you have is, is sort of um, what Victor Shaw has called this patchwork quilt of a lot of overlapping institutions, big inclusive ones like the East Asia Summit or the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, down to smaller ones, including bilateral U.S. alliances, which have been um, really the foundation um, of, of the regional security architecture post-World War II. Um, and that, that sort of overlapping web, what it does is it, it creates the ability for states who have a lot of linkages to these various different types of institutions to build network power, essentially. Um, and that gives you basically uh, influence in shaping rules uh, and norms and standards and the types of cooperative activities that exist in the region that oftentimes may be greater um, than your actual material capabilities. The US has had that for a very long time, especially in the security space. And that's something that I argue that China is looking to replicate. So what it's doing, it's building a lot of um, mini lateral, multilateral institutions uh, with, without the United States involved, where it thinks it can exert more influence. Um, it's throwing a lot of money at these kinds of institutions. It's throwing a lot of money at sharing Chinese tools and technology with other types of Asian partners that it uses to build um, more cooperative security activities. And it's really trying to reorient a lot of the practices and the norms um, that sort of support cooperative multilateral um, institutions in the region. Well, one of the, I think, assumptions about um, China and the United States in terms of uh, how they approach security is that for a long time, the United States has assumed, you know, it had uh, all the allies or at least the ones worth having and all the partners in the region. And China was mostly alone. So what makes uh, the relationships China is developing now in the security network? Um, what's sort of undergirding them and what makes that network different than this sort of long-standing um, network of relationships and agreements and alliances that underscore and underpin the U.S. Uh, security architecture in the region. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I think, look, the U.S. sort of has had its pick of allies because the reality is the United States formed a lot of these alliances earlier. Um, and I think the alliances the United States have um, there's nothing that China is doing right now that replicates the depth or the comprehensiveness of those relationships. What's interesting is I think in a lot of cases they're undergirded um, by a couple of things. Um, 
most notably with countries like Pakistan, with Russia, uh, with Cambodia, uh, I think there's a growing sense of, of sort of alienation, um, both from the United States, but also um, uh, you know, the international community um, that basically creates countries that don't have a lot of exit options. Uh, and China provides alternatives for them. So they can, um, they can coordinate like we've seen with Russia, China and Russia coordinate uh, in international institutions as well as regional ones in pushing alternative principles, um, things like cyber sovereignty uh, or alternative definitions of um, extremism um, that serve its own purpose and really don't align with a lot of, I think, the values that the US and our allies have. Um, in other cases, with say a country like Cambodia, it's not necessarily significant from a geostrategic standpoint, but China leverages that relationship reportedly for things like military access. So, um, you know, it can, it can sort of expand its overseas military presence through relationships with countries like potentially Pakistan or Cambodia. All right, last question, you gotta do a short answer. The United States and Asia are, uh, the United States and China are dividing Asia into two uh, security networks. Why is this different than any a Cold War? Uh, it's obviously different than the Cold War, but it, does this portend a, a Cold War between the US and China? I think there's a growing polarization uh, right now in Asian security ties. And I think as the US and China relationship continues to become more competitive, that'll increase. But it's not going to look the same. And the primary reason is because other countries get a vote. Um, and I think aside from a small handful of partners on and allies on both sides, um, most countries are going to continue to do what they prefer, which is to hedge. And they're going to try to maintain ties with both the U.S. and China. All right. Thanks so much, Lindsay Ford. Thank you, John.